So it was 1998. I was five, you were 13, yeah. and dad was 34 years old when he decided to move the entire family down to Denver, specifically in Highlands Ranch, and plant Jubilee Fellowship Church. You know, we started in a school and eventually went to a storefront and then to um, a building and then multiple campuses. But some of the things that I can remember that were foundational to our DNA is discovering and recovering the promises of God. Jubilee wasn't just, you know, a building. It was a community of people that were gathering together to figure out what all of this is about. In Leviticus, it talks about the year of Jubilee. And one thing that that has always done and preached about and put in the foundations of this church is about the promises, the blessing, and the healing of God. When I think of people in the history of JFC, I think one thing is that they've always been able to say the second that they walk in, they can feel the presence and blessing of God. The year of Jubilee isn't just some old teachings. It's a lifestyle. Good morning. Listen, I need to begin uh, our time together with a little bit of news for you. I'm sure that many of you are aware, and uh, some of you will be caught a little off guard by what I have to say. Um, Friday night at 8.30, uh, Brenda Hilgers lost her valiant fight against cancer. And um, it was a hard-fought battle. Uh, they did everything that they possibly could do. And uh, just simply... Um, uh, she passed with her family and her friends gathered around her um, into Jesus' arms without any question about that. When people who don't know Jesus and don't know heaven say things like they're in a better place, um, man, it just kind of riles me up because heaven's not a better place, it's the place. Heaven is home. And if you're a believer, uh, we are all headed there. That is the bottom line. And uh, the Bible teaches us we are all looking for a city whose author and maker is God. And Brenda told me with her own mouth about three weeks before uh, it got to the point where she just simply couldn't communicate uh, these two things. She said, first, I feel like I'm prepping for a vacation I'm never going to have to come back from. That's a big thing right there. I'd go to her house trying to figure out how I'm going to minister to her. And without fail, that woman would minister to me every time, just encourage me. She was reading a lot of books about heaven and became an expert on heaven. And uh, it was just, it was really amazing. My son Brent, who's special needs, had this insight. He told me this on uh, Thursday or Friday morning of this week, right before she passed. He said, uh, Brenda's going to be the first one in the family to see Billy Graham. Um, <laughs> and I said, Billy Graham's going to be the first one to see Brenda is how it's going to work. And the truth of the matter is Brenda got to see Jesus. And this I do know and believe with my whole heart, so convicted that I've given my whole life to this issue right here, that if we could see what she sees right now, we'd trade place in a second. We hold on to this place like it's it, and this is the thing that's passing away so rapidly in front of us and decaying, and it's not forever, but heaven is. And the reality of eternity is true, and that's where she's at right now. Um, Second thing that she just was just adamant about, just would not, uh, would not back away from, 
was just the thankfulness that she felt about how people had, uh, had reached out to her. I want to take a minute as pastor and just say this. I know not all of you knew her. Um, not all of you, because of that, would have had an opportunity to try to minister to her. But many of you know Terry and Brenda. It's amazing how that couple is so well-loved by our church. Many of you, man, have reached out to that family and loved that family. She kept telling me, I've never felt more loved. I've never felt more taken care of. So I want to take a moment and just congratulate you for what you did. Every time I went there, there were people constantly coming in and going. Terry had set visiting hours, so it wasn't like a 24-hour deal. But during the daytime when people could be there, so many people were there. Uh, I've been personally bombarded with people that have said, what can we do? Uh, everybody wants to know what, what can be done. Um, I think uh, believers in particular, we always think, uh, what, what food can I bring to the family? <laughs> so let me just say it this way. They have more food right now than they know what to do with. Their uh, freezer in their house is full. The freezer in the garage is full. And they actually have friends storing some of the food for the future. That's really not what the need is. But because I've been asked so much and Terry's being asked and the staff, uh, I want to tell you what the need is. And I'm just going to share it from my heart, and I'm going to say it this way. If you want to help, great. And if you don't, you don't need to. There's no arm twisting. It's as straightforward as what I'm saying right now. This is the need. Uh, cancer is an expensive issue. Our insurance simply covers um, a degree of it, but between co-pays and experimental medications that they tried, Terry has about a $15,000 bill right now that he's actually trying to finance to pay off. And he would never ask, but I wouldn't hesitate to ask. And so I'm asking our church, do you really want to help? Here's what you can do. Uh, I'm not asking just this service. We have over the weekend four campuses and about 12 different services. And if each one just did a little bit, we could take yeah. care of this thing for this family and knock it out and be done with it. And if you feel like, well, man, that's self-serving for a pastor, then don't give anything. But for one time, I'm asking for one of our pastors in a situation that they didn't ask for or deal with. And I can just tell you these two things, right? It's important that you hear this from me. Uh, man, it's hard. This is my brother-in-law. This is my family. This is a man who was married for 45 years who woke up this morning. He emailed me and he said, for the first time in 45 years, she's not here. How do you build a life again? I don't know the answer to that. Here's what I know. When you don't have an answer, you just have to be there. You just love people. That's what you do. We're just loving and holding on to each other right now. And I would ask for these things for him. Uh, man, pray for Terry. He's lonely and he's hurting and he's brokenhearted and he's physically exhausted. It was a battle. Pray for his children. They're all here and they're brokenhearted right now too. We just sat with them yesterday, and all of them, we laughed and cried. It's hard. Um, pray for our family. My wife is, is hard on her. It's hard for me to know. Um, you know, I go into pastor mode, right? My wife doesn't need a pastor. She just needs her husband. And just being there and just, just loving on her is important right now, too. So, Pray for our family, man. It's, we have a tight family, a close family. It's a hard situation to go through. Um, I said this last night. I'll just say, uh, say it again today. What if we go past the 15,000? Okay, here's what I think. Um, Brenda's wishes were to be cremated. And um, then she talked to Terry. Their place, especially in the last three years, was to try to get to Hawaii. 
There's a family in our church that has a condo there that would give it to them. And once they knew what they were up against, um, we just gave them all the time that they needed to spend time together, and they would try to get away to Hawaii. And she wants um, her ashes to be spread, the kids and Terry to take the ashes and spread them. So what if we do this? If it goes past the 15th, what do we just give the money to them to get the family to Hawaii to do that? Uh, again, um, how could you do this? Uh, on our website, you know, if you go on there and you give, there's a place to designate, put for Brenda or for Terry or for the Hilders. Whatever you give to them, we'll give all of it to them, okay? So just so that you know, you can give in the offering today. Uh, there's time. It's not something that has to be done, you know, today or tomorrow. The funeral. For those who want to attend, it's Tuesday, this campus, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm not sure if we can accommodate everybody. Here's what Terry told me. I'm not sure that uh, that many people will come. <laughs> he just, he's so self-effacing. And I said, I'm not sure that we're not going to have to run another facility to accommodate everybody that's going to be there. But if you would like to come and be a part of that, uh, 4 o'clock on Tuesday, uh, it's an open invitation. And we'd like to invite you if you want to, uh, to be there. Um, biggest thing, more than anything, I want you to remember this, man. Uh, in the face of um, tragedy and in the face of something that is exceptionally difficult, um, I want you to hear me say this, not because I'm pastor only. Uh, I think that that's important. This is my family. Um, she was the third one. Brenda was the third one in, in the family to actually say, um, I think he'd be okay if Chris married him. Um, had to pass the test with several people. But she was early on one of the ones who just put her arms around me and loved me and, and took me in. I, I owe that woman a lot. But um, I just, just so you hear me say this in the difficulty uh, that we're all feeling, I want you to know, man, our faith has not wavered. Terry and Brenda, God, they use this as an opportunity to, um, to stand strong in their faith. And that never wavered one time. So I want you to hear me say it. We hate this. This is difficult. But hear me. God is good. Yes. Now, cancer sucks. Yes. Don't confuse that issue at all. Cancer, I'm more convinced than ever, is a horrible spirit from hell that God has a special place for when, when things are rectified uh, and we never have to deal with it again. It is, a, it is a horrible thing to have to deal with. But the bottom line is, man, our faith in God is not shaken. We do not see this as God did or didn't do anything uh, we see this completely as two different separate issues. We live in a fallen world. Not all healing happens in this life. And even the best healing that does happen in this life is still only temporary. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. It's only for as long as we live on this earth. Heaven sometimes is healing. And that's just the way that it is. And we accept that and accept that uh, our hope, and this is our belief, um, we said goodbye, and just like Paul said, man, we grieve, and we grieve heavily right now. I can't tell you the tears that were shed and that are being shed, but our grief is built on the foundation of hope. So we grieve with hope. We said goodbye, but only for now. We'll see her again. She had a huge, she told me this, I have a huge investment in heaven that I need to get there for. <laughs> She said, I have a grandchild that's there waiting for me. Listen to this. I have parents that are there waiting for me. And I have friends that are there that are waiting for me. 
And as much as I don't want to leave here, I know what I'm going to there. What a wonderful way to look at heaven, man. I have a huge investment there. Hmm. So um, thank you for your love and thank you for your care and for watching over all of us. And please continue to pray. And again, if you'd like to help out with um, what we think could be um, a beneficial thing for this family, a way just to love on them, uh, please do that. Uh, so that you know, Todd, our business administrator, contacted me last night. I know through just the people that heard it last night, more than $5,000 had already been given. So that leaves about 10000 that needs to be taken care of. I know there are people in our church who could do it by themselves. Uh, I'm not saying not to. I just felt like what an opportunity for our whole church to share uh, in the burden of blessing a family. So if we all did a little bit, huh? We all just did something for them. We could take care of this. And uh, I'll report to you in a couple weeks. They're not here today. So I felt a lot of freedom to be able to say this without uh, making them feel embarrassed, obviously. Um, you know, just uh, getting used to, to life without, without their, their mom and wife is, um, is new, and they're just needing some, some time off right now. But uh, when you see them, and you will, love on them and let them know that uh, you're praying for them. And um, I think that's all that, um, that I've got to say about that right now. Now, how do you go from that into teaching a message? How about we pray? Center ourselves back on what we need to say. And um, let's do what I just said. Let's pray for the family and just pray for our church today and uh, just bow your heads with me, if you will. So, Father, I uh, come before you just that way. God, we're needy this morning. We are every day, but, uh, Lord, we just recognize it a little bit more today. Lord, I just lift up Terry. And my friend, his heart's broken. And um, you say that you're close to the brokenhearted. And that you're the God who comforts us in our times of trouble. And would you please comfort my friend? Would you pull him close to your heart right now and would you love on him? Father, where he feels that absence and that ache and that hurt, would the Holy Spirit fill that void in his life right now? Lord, for his two sons and his daughter and all of their grandchildren and all of the in-laws, God, I just pray your blessing over them. I pray that they wouldn't only feel the loss of a mom and a grandmom, but they would feel right now uh, the sweet and the abiding presence of the Lord. God, I pray that you would just draw them close and fill them. Uh, Paul said your grace is sufficient. God, work with grace in their life right now so that it's more than sufficient for them. God, I pray for our family, our family, God, that just um, is hurting right now. God, I just ask that you would comfort and love and strengthen for our church who loves this couple and who knows this couple, especially for those, Lord, who are going to hear me today and feel so close to Terry and Brenda. Lord, work, work your grace in their life. Just pour it out, your mercy, your love. Father, it's at times like this where, um, God, we believe, but Lord, right now, make it, make it especially close and experiential for us. God, thank you that you never leave us and forsake us. Thank you that these aren't just simply words. Thank you that uh, today, Lord, we get to experience your goodness. God, again, I say it. You're good. You're always good. You never change your mind, and that's never uh, most of the time. You're always good. 
I confess that in front of our church, and we hold on to that to be our truth and to be self-evident in all that we have and do. I just thank you for that. I give you praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, one of my favorite ways to uh, feed myself is to listen to other speakers. Uh, not just indiscriminately, not just everybody. Um, I listen to people that can like really speak into my heart. Uh, years and years ago when I was a younger pastor to do that, I had to order tapes. How many of you remember those things? Yeah, maybe back in the day. <laughs> I opened a drawer. My wife is a pack rat. And I opened a drawer today, this morning, that had nothing but cassettes, as far back as you could see. And I'm like, why is she saving these things right here? I don't know. We don't even have anything you could play them with. I'm not sure what that is about, but she's just saved them all. So back in the day when I wanted to listen to people that I respected and a way to feed myself, man, I would, I would order cassettes. Or when CDs came along, I would go to a conference or go to a, a, a church website, and I would order CDs. And I would listen to people who could minister to me. And one of the ways that I knew the anointing was on something is that when I would listen to it, it wouldn't just speak to my heart, but at the same time, man, like all of these different thoughts about, I'd like to preach about that, and I'd like to... It was like this fertile ground would happen when the anointing would come forth. I don't know if you've ever seen, like you're taking notes and you're writing down all these good thoughts that God gives you. That's how I would know there was an anointing on something. And so I just practiced early in my, uh, my career and in my life uh, listening to people that could minister to me like that. And there was... An older minister, he passed away probably 20 or 25 years ago, that used to really minister to me deep, man. And this guy, man, he started preaching in the late 30s and the 40s and 50s and the 60s and especially in the 70s. His name was Lester Summerall. Does anybody recognize that name? He's a very famous, famous person. Probably one of the pioneers of Christian television. Uh, did more for missions at one point than most of the people that I know. Uh, literally all around the world. Um, man, as a, as, a, as a minister who lived his life right in front of God, he handed off a legacy to his sons, and now his grandsons are pastors, and even the next generation is coming up right now and moving into ministry. I mean, literally from uh, him forward, four generations are pastors. What a, what a powerful thought that is right there. It's legacy. This guy, what I liked about him is he could tell stories like nobody could tell a story. I like stories. Like, if you don't like stories, don't read the Gospels because Jesus told them all the time. Stories are that thing that, regardless of your intellect, stories break down everything and allow everybody to come into an understanding of something. Stories make it easy to teach with and to, to, to grasp principles with. Stories catch us up. God put his thumbprint in us all that stories are that universal language that draws us into something. This guy could tell stories of things that he saw things that he did, and they weren't made-up stories. That was just the thing. This guy lived these things. He told this story one time that I'm going to tell you that fits in with the message today. Now, I just want to tell you right now, you're going to hear it and go, no way. I'm not here to convince you. You can decide for yourself what you believe and whether or not you want to believe this story, but there's a point to the story that I do want you to grasp. This guy, um, all the way back in the 40s, would travel around the world bringing uh, the light of Christ to places that were so dark. I mean, he would go into places in South America and in Africa and in Central America and Asia, places that just simply had never heard the name of Jesus, and he would preach Jesus. One time in South America, and if you've ever been there, South America, some of the cities are first world cities, but much of the continent is still a third world continent. 
You can go into places like you're not sure if a man's ever even set his foot in those places. Getting to the jungle or getting up into the Andes is an incredible experience. I mean, it's, it's got every kind of, of, um, of, of, of landmass and, and different type of people. It's, it's an amazing thing to go. But you get deep into the jungle and you realize, uh, first of all, you have to trek way back into it. You can't drive to it. It's so thick. It's like going back in time a thousand years. I mean, there are people groups literally unreached in parts of that continent. He spent part of his ministry going deep into the jungles and ministering to the Indians. And way back in the jungle, he talks about having great success with these villages. Several villages all around that would come to hear him uh, through an interpreter speak about this Jesus. And every time that he would speak about Jesus, all of these Indians were giving their life to Christ. And they were leaving behind their old ways. And their old ways had to do with, they had a witch doctor who would basically direct the spiritual understanding of the village, but he did it with intimidation and fear. He would cast spells. He was connected to the occult in some way. So Lester tells this great story that while ministering back to this group of Indians in the jungle and having such success that the witch doctor got really jealous of him and decided, i got to get rid of this guy. Now, when I say witch doctor, don't think shaman, because Hollywood today makes that person seem very normal, like they're a spiritual counselor. This would have gone back in the time where the guy's dressed in the feathers with the mask on and comes out with a bullfrog. And for those of you who have any understanding of the occult, a bullfrog is always a representation, one of them, of an occult practice. Not that a bullfrog in and of itself is anything more than a frog, but it can be used for that. So this witch doctor had this great big bullfrog, and in his left hand he had this potion of blood, uh, some kind of drug uh, that was a hallucinogenic that he would use in order to go into a trance to contact these spirits. So he took this potion, this blood and this drug, and he dumped it in the mouth of the frog, shook the frog up, and then drank it from the frog. And it threw him into some kind of a trance, and this guy would dance around. But here's the funny thing. The guy was connected to some kind of power. Not God's power, but the enemy's power. And there was something to what this guy could do. So he takes this, and it's some kind of a death curse he's trying to put on Lester, and he's dancing all around Lester, and the village is like in fear of what's going to happen. And Lester was not from the school of political correctness. Amen. So he reached up and slapped the guy, just like that, <laughs> slapped him. And the guy just stopped, like, what are you doing? And this is what he said, in Jesus' name, come out. And dude, that guy looked at him and fell over like dead, boom. After about 10 or 15 minutes, they help the guy up. He's staggering. He looks at Lester, and man, he begins to just confess that all those spirits, I don't know what that was, but they have left my life. And he finds Jesus. There's this powerful, powerful moment, and he writes this in this book, and it's really cool, but that's not the story. That night, he goes back to go to sleep. Now, you've got to remember, this is the 40s in a third world country, and this is true today. You can go to some of those places. I've been there recently. They do not have air conditioning. And you want to talk about hot in the jungle, man? I mean, the temperature at midnight is 95, and the humidity is 195%. And it's just soaking. There's no way to get cool. Lay in the bed. So he tells the story in a small room that's sweltering, sweltering hot. Suddenly, this foul odor enters the room, and the temperature drops. It gets like ice cold. He said, the curtains, man, were standing up like a wind is blowing, but there's no wind outside. 
He said he's in bed and the bed begins to rumble and it's moving across the floor. And he said it dawns on him. And so he yells out, you foul spirit, I know what you are. You're the one that I cast out of that witch doctor. You leave me alone right now. And everything instantly went right back to heat. The bed's in the middle of the room. The curtains fall down. And Lester, man, in a moment of just like, hey, this isn't right, yells out, get back here. <laughs> so listen to this story. The cold returns to the room. The smell comes back. The curtains go up. The bed's rumbling. And this is what he said. When you came in here, the bed was over there. Put it back. <laughs> and the bed rumbles right back across the floor. And the thing's gone, never to bother him again. Now, whether you believe that that story is true or not, I'm not here to argue with you about it. I will just say this to you. If you've never experienced a confrontation with the enemy at that level, it's easy to doubt it. But I can tell you, I have seen things that would curl your hair. I've experienced that smell and I've experienced that cold. But I've also experienced the power of Jesus over every demonic spirit, man. I've seen it. Here's the point of the story. For most of us, we'd be content to get the devil to leave us alone. But the truth of the matter is, the devil needs to put back what's been taken from you in the first place. Most believers don't realize it's not just like, hey, I rebuke you, stop it. It is what's been taken from me. Because the devil is one of three things. He is a thief. He's a killer. And he's a destroyer, yes or no. Uh, some of you might right now like connect a story like, uh, man, did he kill Brenda? Nope. Nope. But you know what he did steal from us? Peace. And sleep. And you know what he needs to put back? The peace that he's taken. And leave us alone. Um, so for the last several weeks, we've talked on the year of Jubilee. The promises that God had for this church. Like, I believe that they are his promises so they're for all believers. But the reason this church exists was to preach these promises. And you'll hear us say it every week. This is a place where you can recover and discover the promises of God. When we say discover and recover, we're not talking about just, hey, get where you are right now. We're talking about... Get back what was yours from the beginning. And so like you could hear the message, me teaching the last three weeks and the promises of God belong to you. But if you don't get this part of it, man, God's original purpose for your life belongs to you. And you have the right to put a demand on that. Let me give you three scriptures. Uh, these are important. I teach you something uh, scripturally. These are the only three scriptures I can find. If you know of another one, tell me. I'd love to hear it. Uh, not right now. But uh, email me. These three scriptures are the only three scriptures that I can find where God himself says, I'll do this for you. Not an angel, not Jesus, not, uh, not a pastor, not a book, not a tape, not a church. God himself, I will do this for you. I can only find three scriptures where God makes a promise to do something for you. First one is Joel chapter 2, talking about him giving back. Not just recovery, but restitution. Write the word down, restitution. Let me give you the difference between recovery and restitution. Maybe that's what I should do first. Recovery is just to get back what's been taken. To get even. Uh, rest, re recovery is uh, um, so if my peace has been stolen to get my peace back. But it doesn't deal with the loss of peace that I had for all of the nights. So I might recover my peace right now, but what about the peace that I lost and what could I have done with it? Restitution is not just to recover what's been missing just right now, but restitution is to get back what you could have done back over here. 
Do you get what I'm saying? So at the end of it, I'll give you a legal definition that I think you'll find interesting in how the Bible promises restitution. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verse 25. Uh, This is the prophet Joel who's writing, but he's writing first person because the Lord is speaking through him. So the first word is what? I. The I is not Joel. The I is God. God is speaking first person. So uh, I, God, will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten. Let's read it one more time. I, God, will repay you for the what? The years. So that's not saying, I'll, I'll get you back to even. I'll give you back what was taken way back in the day. That's restitution. So it's God himself. There's only three places in scripture where I can find that God himself says, I'll do this for you. This is God's plan for your life. I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. And then he names four different kind of locusts. And I, this is my opinion. I, I, it's hard to study this out because it's hard to figure out exactly why. I think it just represents that there's not just one kind of enemy that we faced in our life. Uh, there can be multiple. But he just says, so I'll give you back the years that the locusts have eaten. And then he mentions the locust, The great locust, the young locust, the other locust, and the locust swarm. Uh, if it's all one thing, why use four different terms? Do you get what I mean by that? And I guess simply just what I would say to you is we don't all face the same enemy. We don't all go through the same thing. We don't all have the same problems. Here, God is just trying to address whatever it is that's stealing from you, I plan on dealing with it in your life. It's God's promise. God says he'll do it. Uh, Let me give you another one. Uh, This one I think is interesting because this is um, Israel still practices this one today. Any observant Jew that keeps Passover during the Seder meal, quote, this scripture right here. Now, this was given, we, we, our communion comes out of the Passover meal. What we celebrate in communion comes from Passover. When the disciples, uh, on the night where Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he took the cup. They're having Passover. From Passover comes our celebration of communion, but they're all interconnected with each other, and that's why this is important. So during the meal, they recite this scripture. It comes from Exodus chapter 6, and it's God saying, no one else is going to do this for you but me. I'm going to do this. Therefore... Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and look at it, first person, and what? I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. There are four promises that God gives. Second one, I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Look again. And I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So God makes four promises To the Israelis that we are grafted into that promise through Abraham as believers. God himself saying, I am your God. I will deliver you. I will take you out from slavery and I will keep you. Not an angel. In fact, during the Seder meal, here's what they say. God will, not an angel. God will, not a deliverer. God will, not Moses. God will do these things in our lives. There's only three places I can find where God promises I myself will do this. That one in Joel, I'll give you back the years that the locusts have eaten. This one in Exodus, I will do this. And then this one right here is really interesting. The last book in the Bible is Revelation. Revelation is the final word. And in Revelation, there's a scripture that talks about on the day, listen real quick, on the day, judgment day is what it's called. The day where we all stand before God. The day where he makes what's right or what's wrong, right, what's broken is fixed. The way he, he resets the original order of creation. He puts it back the way that it's supposed to be. God did not create death in the world. 
God did not create loss in the world. God did not create suffering in the world. God did not introduce evil in the world. When people say to you, how could a loving God do that? A loving God didn't do it. Man did it. That's hard for people to accept. But go back and read the Bible. You can't fully make someone able to choose unless they can choose evil. Yes or no? You're a robot if all you can choose is the right thing. But you're free. One of the greatest gifts ever given to you was the ability to choose. But why do we always choose the wrong thing, it seems like? God, we blame Adam and Eve like, I would have been better. No, you. did you sin yesterday? Because you're just like them if you did. You chose wrong. It's just that thing. There are times we can choose God and there's times we choose wrong and it introduced death into the world. All right, I'm on a soapbox, forgive me. Uh, three things God will do. Here, here's the last one. He... Speaking of God, look what God will do. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Can I slow down? He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And look at this promise. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order or the fallen world has passed away. And the new world has come. So here, this is a word picture And this is what it means when we all stand before God. Now, this is believers. Okay? On that day, um, all the loss that you've suffered and all the hurt that you've experienced. You know what the Bible also says in Revelation? Every tear that a saint has cried, God has a vial for it that he's collected. Not one tear you've shed has gone to waste in front of God. God has an excellent memory. God knows. And what this is telling us is that on that day, not an angel, not your pastor, not the author of the book, not the guy who ministered to you, not the woman who helped you, God himself will get up off of his throne and wipe away your tears and will make right what was wrong and will give back all that was taken, and your world at that point, just look at me real quick, all that it feels like right now will melt away like clouds in the sunshine. And never again will you have to tolerate those things or experience those things or know about those things. God's promise is, I will make it right by you. So there's three places I can find in Scripture where God himself says, I will do this, and this is my job in your life. I'll give you back what's been taken from you all those years. I'm your deliverer. I'm your savior. I'm your healer. I'm your redeemer. And I will wipe away every tear. Look, some of you are too young to appreciate this right now. I realize that. Some of you right now, your level of loss is minimal. But some of you in this room need to hear what I'm saying right this second. God hasn't missed one prayer. And God doesn't leave you when you're faithless. And he doesn't reject you when you're angry. And he doesn't turn his back on you when you turn yours on him.
God remains faithful when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. And perhaps you think this is pie in the sky, and I'm challenging you right now, man. The God that made you and that knows you and that loves you has an intention for you. He's a good God. He's not like a man that he should lie, and he's not like a human that he changes his mind. Let me just quickly deal with this. Uh, I think in some form or fashion, as pastor of this church, uh, maybe not every week, but man, at least a couple times a month, I'm always mentioning John 10.10. Jesus came to bring life, and not just any life, but abundant life. It is so important to me that my people get the promise of abundant life, and I'm always, always trying to teach it, explain it, tell you to grasp hold of it. One verse, though, it's really interesting. John 10.10 is like an A and a B verse. It's really small, uh, just two parts to it. Jesus is talking, and this is what he says. uh, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And then there's a comma, but I came to bring life, not just any life, but the life that's worth having, the abundant life, the full life, the good life. So he does a, 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 just a quick dichotomy. Here's what the thief does, the enemy, and here's why I'm here. It's just, I mean, they couldn't be more diametrically opposed to each other. So, so the only reason I'm even going to spend time on the thief real quick is because the, the promise of Jubilee, man, this promise of God giving you back, uh, I, I'm just going to show you in two places where Jesus teaches how the thief kills, steals, and destroys. I'll just I'll show it to you real quick. So um, you want to pull that up, John 10, 10, that first uh, part there? Uh, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. There's not much really that I'd, I'd want to teach there other than to say this. Um, if there's anything missing in your life, if there's anything that's dying, dreams and hopes and relationships and marriages and I mean fill the blank in if there's anything that's just suffered destruction it's not the proof that God is not faithful it's not the proof that God what I'm saying right now is not true it's not the proof that there's no power in the word of God or that God can't overcome that that's that is just such a backward mindset towards thinking about God. So we're, here's real. If any of those things are true in your life, if there's anything that's stealing, killing, any, it's not the proof that God's not faithful. It's the proof you have an enemy. That's why Jesus put it in there. Here's what the enemy does. So if you see those things in your life, God's not being unfaithful to you. God's not, not keeping his promise. God's not acting on your behalf. You have an enemy. And in fact, let me spell it out for you. You don't even really have an enemy until you give your life to Christ. Then you have an enemy. Like if everything in your life is perfect, you need to ask yourself if the devil's got his arm around you and you're walking the same direction. (laughs) Dude, the minute you turn the opposite direction, you have an enemy who will do all he can to get you to turn back. Instead of thinking, God, as soon as I serve God, all this stuff happens. I just, it's not worth it. Think this, I'm not going to let the enemy win. There must be something on the other side of where the enemy's at that is so good, I've got to get through this. The death of a saint, man, for us, we hurt. But there was, there was never, no, God's unfaithful. Those words never entered my vocabulary. Dude, I prayed for healing, and I prayed for healing, and when it became apparent God's choice of healing was heaven, 
then I rejoice for heaven. But I make a decision. So I'm going to work even harder now to take more people with me when I go. So like you can go to hell, but you're going to have to go around me, just so you know. I hope you get the facetiousness of my... I don't want you to. I'm just... Never mind. Um, Jesus taught... So he he lays out in in another scripture... Uh, how the enemy works, and then how he works. So John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give life, the abundant life, the life that's worth having, the full life, uh, an incredible life. Uh, There was another story Jesus told about the sower. Maybe you remember it. He just says the sower goes out into the field to cast seed. Jesus is the sower. But three of the four places that he sowed the seed have no results. But the one that does have results, it's incredible. Uh, One seed never produces one seed. God's way of working in your life is always multiplication. So Jesus said one seed brings 30, 60, or 100 full return. I'll have you think of it this way. If you plant an apple seed, you get an apple tree, and then you get apples, how many seeds did one seed actually produce? Yeah, that's the answer I got last night a lot, because nobody knows how many seeds are in that many apples over the lifetime of a tree. You know, at first I said millions, but I don't know if that's true. Then I said tens of thousands. I have no idea. So a lot, a lot. A lot's safe. Right? A lot's safe. But one tree is never... In God's economy, one is never one. One is a multiplication factor. It's always a multiplication factor. In your life, there's always the multiplication factor that when God works, it's never one-to-one. It's one times whatever the harvest is going to be. All right, so the sower. Let me just read it to you real quick. Uh, Matthew 13, 3 through 8, and then he explains it in 18 through 23. Uh, Jesus told many uh, stories in the form of parables. Remember we said that Jesus used stories to get people to understand things? Uh, Such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. Uh, As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. That's not good. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rocks, The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, uh, but the plants soon withered under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, no depth, there was nothing to that. They were not able to sustain the heat. They what? They died. Other seeds fell amongst thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. That's not good either. And still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produce a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much has been planted. Remember, it's never one-to-one. It's one times the multiplication. The minimum is 30, 60, and then 100. Dude, I'd like to be 100 for Jesus. That's how I want my life to reflect 100. I don't know if we get to choose that, but if we do, I want to be 100-fold. All right, so this real quickly. When he's describing the seed and what happens to the seed, he gives three indications. The first one, man, the seed goes out. Uh, just, just go back to that, that, that first one for me real quick. Uh, is that the first one? No. Duke, duke, duke. This means go back. Duke, duke, duke. Nope. Is that it? No, that's not it. Uh, here we go. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. Now go forward. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them up. So so what does this mean? So Jesus said um, that whenever the seed is, is given out, if a person doesn't understand it, the enemy comes immediately to steal the seed. 
He'll take it right off the table. All right, so here's how it would work. You can go home and remember. Look at me real quick. You can go home and remember that I taught something. But the devil will steal the seed from your life, so you'll never get anything from what I taught you. If you don't understand it, the number one way the devil will steal from your life is ignorance. I didn't say stupidity. There's not a stupid person in this place. How do I know? Because you got up and came to this church. You are smart, smart, smart. Come on. Come on. Have fun. Look, God gave us laughter to pull us out of the doldrums. Laughter is a gift from God. Um, ignorance, man. When you hear something and you're not sure about it, or you don't say that belongs to me, or you're just like, I, I, just, I just don't know if I can do that. So what you're doing is you're leaving it on the surface. And the Bible says, Jesus said this, that the devil comes immediately to steal that seed. You'll have a remembrance of me saying it. You can actually say, you taught on that. But as far as having any fruit of it in your life, you'll have absolutely none. And that is what happens on weekends with so many believers, is that ministers are giving out the seed of God. But if people don't take it, that belongs to me, and you can't have it. The devil will steal it from you. You'll remember me preaching it, but you'll have no activity of it in your life. So let me ask you, how many of you want activity of this seed in your life, man? You have a choice in this. Look at me. You have a choice right now. You have to say that belongs to me. You cannot have it. I will not let it go. I will hold on to this. I will repeat this. I will claim this. I will say it belongs to me. That is mine. You have an active participation in it. You've got to do something with it. You cannot go home and be content. Oh, nice message. I hate nice messages. I hate them. I don't want a nice message for you. You know what I want? Your life to change. I want the gospel to take root in you. I want it to go boom inside of you. You know, and by the way, when you email me like, Pastor, we get it. You don't have to be so so strong. I'll decide how strong I need to be. That's my job. My job. All right. Second one, he just simply says it falls on ground. It springs up, but because it has no root, it's shallow. Yes or no? Man, shallowness, the devil... Shallowness is just that thing where you, you can mix the world, you mix a little bit of Jesus, you mix a little bit of like, okay, I compartmentalize my life over here on Sunday, but on Monday I gotta be this person, and at home I gotta be this person. Dude, that is just so shallow. Go all in for Jesus. Give the whole thing to Him because there will come a day when you will thank me for telling you this. You will not be in heaven and go, Pastor, God. you might go, Pastor, I made it. And I'm gonna be like, God. Blows my mind too. So, uh, <laughs> ignorance shall. The third one just simply is deception. He says it falls in the place where the weeds come up. The cares of this life, listen, listen. The cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches. People all of a sudden give their lives. The devil will throw cares at you left and right. And all of a sudden, all you're thinking about is all the stuff rather than thinking about what Jesus is doing in your life. How many times has that happened? And then it chokes that little thing out of you. (laughs) The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what this message is right here. Ignorance, shallowness, and deception. That's stealing, killing, and destroying. But the good news of this message is not those things. It's the second part of John 10, which is just simply, um, the devil may do this. This is what a thief does. But Jesus, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. That's just one translation from the New Living Testament, a uh, New Living Translation. It's, the NIV would say, uh, I, I came to, to bring them a life that's worth having. 
I think the New King James Version would ring, I came to bring them abundant life. I don't care how you look at it. I don't care what translation you like. It all says the same thing. Jesus' purpose is not just to get you to heaven, man. Look at me. Heaven's like, yes, it pays off in heaven. But if it was about heaven, why not get born again and he just takes you out here in a rapture? He left you here for a reason. Because your life here counts and it's supposed to be a good life. And it doesn't mean you don't have an enemy. And it doesn't mean that you don't go through hell sometimes. The best way, hey, the best comparison for what life is is to actually experience hell and then to know, oh, this is the good life over here. I ain't living over here. Am I talking too fast? Um, Jesus wants you to have an abundant life. He said the one that understands the word, that understands it, that grabs it, that says it's mine, that does something with it, that's where the life is at. Look, God's recovery process Always deals with multiplication. All right, I wrote this down because I'm not smart enough to memorize it. If you're a lawyer, uh, you'll probably like the wording of it. If you're not and you're like me, you might struggle with it. Let me read it and I'll explain it real quick. Here's restitution and recovery side by side. The law of restitution is the law of gains-based recovery. Just listen. Restitution is the law of gains-based recovery. It's to be contrasted with the law of compensation or recovery, not restitution, which is the law of loss-based recovery. When a court orders restitution, it orders the defendant to give up his or her gains to the claimant. When a court orders compensation, it orders the defendant to pay the claimant for his or her loss. Here's the difference. If you're in a lawsuit with someone who's done something to you, and you're suing just to get recovery, all they have to give back to you is the principle that was taken. Restitution is they have to give back the principle plus all of the interest that you could have done if you had it in the first place. God is not interested in getting you even. God wants to give you what belonged to you from the very beginning. And If you hear this and you don't understand it, then you'll have an enemy who will come and pick it out of your life. And you will say, John said something about the law. Or if you receive the word, but it's shallow in you and hard times come, then it's easy to give up that thing and just like, you know what, it's not worth trying to go after the restitution. Or if it falls in that place and you simply find yourself all of a sudden like, um, you know... um, Man, the cares of this world are just too much. And, you know, that's a neat idea, but I have to deal with the nasty now and now. You're deceived and you'll give it up. But if you understand what the promises of God for your life are, that Jesus said, I came to bring life and not just any life, but the abundant life. And it's not just recovery, but, man, I want you to have everything I promised you. You have the chance to live your life that way and to go after those things. And I'll be honest with you, uh, there's not one thing I can do for you today about it. Because it's not, if I'm desperate for it for you, it won't help you. What will you do with it? If you're content to just say, hey, nice message. Oh, how I hate nice messages. How I hate them. Do you realize what I was saying? Not that I want you to say, that was a lousy message, but nice messages. Nice message is the equivalent of saying, nice, yeah, good job. Didn't do anything for me really, but nice words. So I want it to go deep inside your soul, and I want you to say that belongs to me, and I want you to do something about it. So I guess I just conclude the message with that 
ask, man, what do you want to do about this? What will you do about it? Hmm. I guess I don't want to say that. Yeah, I do want to say it. Um, you know, man, like if your experience of church is like, man, I just want to come get in the hot tub and feel good. <laughs> I do want you to feel good, but I want your life to change. Yes. Not to say that I think it's a bad life. I just want you to have everything God promised you. Yes. I just, I, I guess I, I'm just not content with you not having the life of God. And I'm not talking going to heaven. Right. I assume that most of you have made that decision. You, get, you don't get to heaven by what you do. You get there by what Jesus did. Right. That's why you're here. So let, let's assume that for 99.9% .9 that's in the bag, right? So I'm not preaching about heaven right now. I'm preaching about here and now. Right. The life you have here and now. And what a fight it is to hear God wants me to have abundant life. But then go home to an enemy. Yeah. An enemy, not, not your husband or wife. Go home to an enemy that's fighting against you, you know, that's, that's, I get it. I, I, believe me, I get it. I war and I wrestle and I, being a pastor doesn't exist. Being from a pastor ramps those things up in many ways. But this is worth it. It's worth it. The promises of God are worth it. I would just ask you to consider what was said and consider maybe what the Lord would have you begin to pray and ask for when you get before Him. Uh, last thing, just be this. A week from today, the 11th, I'm inviting the men of Jubilee to meet me at uh, Lone Tree at 5. So this is not a Lone Tree issue. It's, uh, man, it's a whole Jubilee issue. It's even Highlands Ranch Campus, uh, Discover Church. I've invited them to be a part of it too. Here's all it is. I don't have any agenda. I don't want the men to do anything. I'm not trying to get you signed up into small groups or uh, go to a retreat or anything like that. You know, truth of the matter is we're 20 years old and we've done all those things. We've had some incredible retreats over the years. We've done small groups, all those things. Here's, here's what it is. I just have something in my heart to gather men together. I just feel like there's a missing element in the life of men, I find it missing uh, in me sometimes. And I just felt the Lord just say, man, gather men together and just, just encourage them. So uh, five to seven Sunday, no child care, but there is food because we can't gather without food, obviously. <laughs> um, it's a good meal, actually. Got a, got a good deal for you. But I just want to invite you. Um, again, I have no agenda. I'm not trying to make you do anything. Uh, I won't do anything weird to you. Um, it really is just a straightforward, I want to gather the men together. I've just got something in my heart I want to talk to them about. So uh, if you can be here uh, next, uh, next week, I'd love to have you here. Uh, in the uh, back of your notes or a little more information on it from there. Um, as always, thank you for listening to me today.